0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> this morning we're going to be looking specifically at Philippians 4 verse 9 and we come to really the end of this section with the theme of standing firm in the Lord. And every time I get to this point, not only as I draw close to the end of a book that I'm preaching through, but even just a passage like this that has this, this theme of standing firm in the Lord, there's a little bit of uh, sorrow that we're we're ending. And sometimes I really want to go back and start all over again, back in verse 1, because there's so many truths here, but yet... I can't do that. Um, I'm not going to do that. But we're going to see the capstone, really, of these verses, verses 1 through 9, in verse 9. So let me read Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. And again, we'll focus on verse 9. Hear the word of God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, How? Here's how. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we come to the end of these verses, this section that it has a coherent whole, and by now you know the theme. Verse 1 Stand firm in the Lord. You know the connection of these verses found in verse 1 in the words, In this way, or your translation might say, so stand firm in the Lord. It means in this way, here's how you stand firm in the Lord. So he's giving them specific instruction as to how the church at Philippi could stand firm in the Lord. You know the, co- the comprehensive nature of these verses. The standing firm requires that we be peacemakers, verses 2 and 3. It requires that we rejoice in the Lord and cultivate godly affections in verse 4. It requires that we are gracious in relationships in the first part of verse 5. That we live in light of the nearness of the Lord in the last part of verse 5. Standing firm requires that we pray to the Lord rather than be anxious in verses 6 and 7. And in verse 8, it requires that we dwell upon, that we think about, meditate upon God and His truth and those things that are consistent with it. But now we come to verse 9. As I said, it is kind of a capstone to it all. And it says this, "...the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you." In verse 9, we see that if we are to stand firm in the Lord, then we must be obedient disciples. And so that could be the title of today's message, Obedient Disciples, or Standing Firm by Being Obedient Disciples. Now I say obedient disciples because of the words in verse 9, practice these things, do these things, obey these things, Paul is saying. So we're to be obedient disciples. We don't just hear these things, but we put them into practice. We do these things. We make it the habit of our lives. We obey these things and live in light of them in every area of our lives. I say obedient disciples because that is what we are. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We learn to be disciples of Christ By other disciples of Christ who show us the way, who teach us the truth, and who model it by their lives. And Paul is saying what you have heard, what you've received, what you've seen, all these things about his life. He's saying I have been following Christ as his disciple and I'm instructing you and I've modeled these things. So you too follow Christ in this same way. So, if we were to stand firm, we see in verse 9, we must be obedient disciples. We must put into practice those things that he said in verses 1 to 8, and really all of what Christ has commanded. We are learners, we are disciples, we are followers of Christ. And so again, Paul says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, that is me, the Apostle Paul, a faithful and exemplary disciple of Christ, you practice these things as well. And this is discipleship, isn't it? This is discipleship. We make disciples. This is what we're to be about until the end of the age. We're to be making disciples by preaching the gospel That through the hearing of the word, the Holy Spirit quickens, makes alive dead sinners, that they would believe on Christ. And as believers, then they would grow as mature disciples of Christ, as we teach them to observe, to obey, and how to observe and obey. All that Christ has commanded. And he's promised his presence with us to accomplish this. And lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. The God of peace will be with you, it says in Philippians 4 verse 9. So again, standing firm requires that we be obedient disciples. Now, verse 9 teaches us several things, but let me point out this morning three things in particular. Three things in particular. First, verse 9 teaches us the need to hear and heed the teaching and instruction of those who shepherd our souls. It teaches us the need to hear and to heed the teaching and instruction of those who shepherd our souls. And I get that from the words, the things you have learned and received. Paul had given them instruction. They had heard, they had learned, they had received that from one who was an apostle, but also a shepherd of their souls. Secondly, we see... From this verse, the need to observe the lives of other believers, especially those who shepherd our souls, but not just those who shepherd our souls, in order that we might follow their example. I get that from the words, the things you have heard and seen in me. Not just the things that he had preached to them that they had learned about the truth, but but things they had heard about him as he was living the Christian life and actually seen firsthand in him. So this verse shows us the need to observe the lives of other believers and to follow their example. But thirdly, verse 9 teaches us the need for obedience to the truth. Not just knowing the truth, not just thinking about the truth, Not just dwelling on the truth as we saw in verse 8, as important as that is, but the need for putting it into practice. And it's obvious that comes from the words, practice these things. So let me boil those three things into three headings which will aid us in understanding and applying this verse, that we might stand firm in the Lord as obedient disciples, here are the three points or the three headings this morning: First, the impartation of truth, the impartation of truth. we need to hear and heed the truth taught to us. Secondly, the observation of the truth lived out. the observation of the truth lived out. We need to observe those who not only proclaim it but who live it, and then thirdly, obedience to the truth, obedience to the truth, we need to put truth into practice. And all three of these are necessary if we're going to be obedient disciples who will stand firm in the Lord. All three are necessary if we're going to be an obedient church following our Savior. We need the impartation of truth, the observation of the truth lived out, and then we need to practice it, be obedient to the truth. So first, if we are to stand firm in the Lord as obedient disciples of Christ, then we must have the impartation of truth. Verse 9 says, or the Apostle Paul says and calls the church to practice the things that they had, notice the words, learned and received. Learned and received. Those two words are references to the impartation of truth from the Apostle Paul to these believers in Philippi. We can't be obedient disciples of Christ, standing firm in the Lord, unless there is this impartation of the truth. God has sovereignly ordained. The ministry of the written word of God is a means by which we grow as disciples and we stand firm in the Lord. The word of God must be taught, it must be preached, it must be proclaimed. And this is how mature, obedient disciples are made. This is how the church stands firm. Now again, I hope this isn't new to you, but... Just by way of a reminder, there are those today who are forsaking or diminishing the public ministry of the Word, the the preaching, the proclamation of the Word. It's been popular for a long time, not to proclaim truth, propositional truth, thus says the Lord from the written Word of God, but instead to sit at a table or in a chair and have a conversation. Preaching's being replaced with a conversation. But the Word of God tells us that the church does not stand firm by simply having conversations on the Lord's Day. But through the preaching of the Word, the impartation of truth to the people of God, through the powerful, living and active Word of God proclaimed by men who have been called of God to do so, And so the word must be taught, it must be preached, it must be proclaimed if we are to stand firm in the Lord and if the church is to do so. And Paul says, I've done that. I've done this in the presence of the Philippians. He'd done it by letter in the letter we're reading. And they had learned and received things from him. Paul exemplified this proclamation of the truth as an apostle and 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, he said that Christ had called him to preach the gospel. And that's what he did. In 1 Corinthians 1, 23, he said, We preach Christ, crucified. Paul imparted the truth through the preaching of the gospel. But he wasn't just an evangelist. He also shepherded souls and he sought to make mature disciples of Christ. And so he, while he was a missionary, we might say a church planter, as an apostle, one sent out to proclaim the gospel, to go to places where Christ had not yet been named, he would then, as, those certain, uh, as people would believe on Christ, he would stay for a period of time and he would disciple them and he would impart more truth to them, that they would grow as mature disciples of Christ. And when he left to go to another location, He would often leave someone behind, a Timothy, a Titus, to set in order what remains. So he wasn't just a missionary, so to speak, an evangelist, but he shepherded the souls of those who believed. In Galatians 4.19, he said this, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. He wasn't just about converts for Christ, but disciples, Christ being formed in them, them becoming more and more like Christ. He put it this way in Colossians 1 verses 28 and 29, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, see the impartation of truth, proclamation, admonition, teaching, but here's the purpose, so that we may present every man complete in Christ obedient mature disciples of Christ and this impartation of truth was necessary for the church to grow in Philippi as obedient disciples standing firm in the Lord and that's what's necessary for us as well again notice the words in verse 9 learned and received the things you have learned and received those two words refer to the impartation of truth through the proclamation and teaching of the word. But the word learned is a particular word. Uh, "Manthano" is the Greek word. It comes, or it's in a group of words. The noun is mathetes. That means to be a learner and a disciple. So that's why I'm calling it obedient disciples. You've learned these things. You've, you've heard them and, and you've learn the truth of God and you put it into practice that you might be a disciple of Christ. This is the same word that's used in the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples. And he says, you learned certain things from me. Now, a disciple is one who attaches himself, so to speak, to another in order to learn something. Sometimes, this person could be a disciple in a philosophical school of thought. Someone could be a disciple of Socrates, for example, to learn certain philosophies or concepts. Or someone could be attached to another to learn a skill or a trade, an apprentice, so to speak. We are those who are attached to Christ, we follow Christ. We're disciples of Christ. We are in the school of Christ. We learn his teaching. He is the prophet who has come and who has spoken the word of God. We learn his ways that we might follow him. He is our savior whom we love, but Jesus is also our Lord whom we obey and follow as his disciple. You remember when Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, as he calls them to salvation, to believe upon him. But then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. Be my disciple. Learn from me. The Lord Jesus imparted his teaching to the apostles, of which Paul was one, and the church stood firm as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts 2, verse 42. They were learners. They gave attention to these apostles who were unique in the, the life of the church that God called out to lay the foundation of the church through the giving of, ultimately, written revelation. He says you learned Things for me, he says, You received things from me. Now this word received might refer to the instruction that Paul gave to the church through his letters, like the one we're currently reading. The book of Philippians, or more accurately, the letter or epistle of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. They received certain things. And as they were reading it, he's saying, you're learning things from me. You learned it in my presence when I imparted these things to you, orally, verbally, proclaiming the truth to you. And now you're receiving things from me in the form of letters. And there's instruction that's to be obeyed, that's to be, again, received. And that's what, again, the apostles were called to do. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, to impart truth, and the church was to receive it. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. And so part of the ministry of the apostles was to impart truth and the church was to receive that truth as to how not only what they were to believe, but how they were to walk and please God. And so Paul is saying that as an apostle, he not only imparted the commandments of the Lord Jesus, but he did so with the authority of Christ as an apostle. He could command them and they were to receive certain instruction as to how they were to live Holy lives as those who believed on Christ. Now, there are no apostles today, but there are elders, pastors, those two terms used interchangeably, or shepherds of souls. And this ministry of the written word of God is now handed down to pastors. Elders are not pastors, or excuse me, elders are not apostles. But we do have the apostles teaching we do have the written word of God. And as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for instruction, for reproof, for correction, and for what? Training in righteousness. So that the man of God, Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy was not an apostle, but he's saying, Timothy, you are well equipped You'll be adequate and equipped for every good work if you use the sacred scripture. And so that includes the good work of making disciples, imparting truth to believers. And so that's what we're to do now as pastors, as elders. That's why one of the qualifications of pastors is able to teach. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2. Or Titus 1 verse 9, we're to hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, the apostles' teaching, now handed down to us in the written word of God, so that, it says of the pastor, he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Now, pastors are given this responsibility, this calling of the impartation of truth to the people of God, that the church might learn and receive those things so that we might stand firm as obedient disciples. And so may I just preach to myself a moment and to the other pastors in this congregation to be faithful in what God has called us to do and to ask you to pray for us. How many churches have not stood firm in the Lord and have strayed from the truth because as the leadership goes, so goes the church. And because pastors have failed to fulfill the calling and responsibility they, are, they have to proclaim the truth of God, that the church has crumbled and fallen. And in many cases, you find churches that are completely apostate. And so pray for us. Fellow pastors, may we not forget to preach the word to be ready in season and out of season to reprove rebuke exhort with great patience and instruction and as paul exhorted timothy in these things he reminded him for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine they don't want to put up with sound doctrine But instead, wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own sinful desires and will turn away for their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. But it should not, as Paul said to Timothy, should not deter you. You preach in season and out of season when it's popular and when it's not. It doesn't matter if it tickles the ears of those who hear it or not, whether they receive it or not. This is what God has called us to do. And may we be faithful for there is no church standing firm in the Lord apart from it. And so men, pastors, may we be faithful. This is essential for the spiritual stability of the church, for Grace Fellowship Church. May we fulfill our calling. But there must be more than just preaching and teaching. This is a two-way street. Those who hear the proclamation, the teaching of the truth, must learn and receive the word taught and preached and imparted. The church must be devoted to the apostles' teaching, committed to those things. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, again, we exhort you, avail yourselves to the ministry of the word. Nine o'clock a.m., The Word is being taught in this place. The impartation of truth is taking place. And oh, how my own soul benefits as I sit under fellow pastors who are teaching the Word. At 10.30, the Word is preached, but not only then during our corporate prayer time to lead us into corporate prayer, during our time of communion at the table of the Lord, during our discipleship groups, they are are there for the purpose of touching upon subjects that we might make disciples, hence discipleship groups. Titus 2 groups among the women exist to impart truth that we might be mature disciples of Christ. Men's and women's prayer and Bible study, all these things the public ministry of the Word and the teaching ministry of Grace Fellowship Church, that we might be obedient disciples, that we might learn and receive the Word, but not only there, but privately. Specific shepherding and teaching occasions where there's the counseling of the Word or specific discipleship, not publicly, but privately. As you meet with pastors to shepherd your soul, Avail yourselves to those things. Some do not stand firm in the Lord because they're not hearing the word as they should. They're not learning and receiving the word humbly as disciples of Christ. But this is essential for standing firm, this impartation of the word of God. So please understand, church, if I can just remind you of this again. Your pastors are not making choices about what we do when we meet, how and when the Word is imparted aimlessly and without purpose. We are considering how the Word might be imparted in order to develop mature disciples of Christ who are obedient disciples of Christ for the glory of Christ, the head of the church, that we might stand firm together. This is not a church that does activity for activity's sake. There's a purpose, the impartation of truth to feed the souls of believers that we might be obedient disciples. And so the spiritual good of you and of the whole church is always the motive behind these things. So we see here the impartation of truth, the need to hear the truth taught to us. Paul says it this way, the things you have learned and received, But secondly, this verse shows us the need not only to hear it, but to observe the lives of other believers in order to follow their example. And so secondly, we see the observation of the truth lived out. We need to observe those who live the truth. And we see that in the words in verse 9. The things you have learned and received, but hear and heard and seen in me heard and seen in me paul not only preached the truth but he lived it he practiced what he preached paul could not only instruct them to practice these things that they had learned and received but he could also say the things you've heard and seen in me practice those things i mean think about this isn't this a rather audacious statement That the Apostle Paul could say, what you have heard and seen in me, practice these things. Not just the objective truth, but now the truth lived out by the grace of God in my life. He puts it in these terms, what you've heard. They had heard about Paul, how he was living, how he was handling opponents to the gospel, opposition and persecution. This letter is an example of what they heard about him And Paul was being faithful. He was in prison for the sake of the gospel, but he wasn't shrinking back. He wasn't compromising the truth. He wasn't fearful of death. They had heard how he was standing firm, practicing what he himself was instructing them in. And they had seen this in the life of Paul. So he speaks of those things that they had seen in him. When he was with them, they saw his zealousness for Christ. They didn't read what we have as Philippians chapter 3 where he is zealously pursuing Christ and laying hold of that for which Christ had laid hold of him and said, Really? The Apostle Paul we saw? That's what's going on in his life? No, they saw it when he was with them. They saw his zealousness for the gospel, his zealousness for Christ, his pursuit of holiness. They had heard about it. They had actually seen it. And that's why Paul could say, by the grace of God, as he did in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16, be imitators of me. And in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. You remember Philippians 3, verse 17? It's not different, really, from what he was saying there. Brethren, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul could say that because by the grace of God, he was applying what he preached. He wasn't hypocritical and just imparting truth, but he was applying truth to his own life. He was a man of integrity. He lived what he taught. In the verses we're about to get to in chapter 4, Paul shared about how he himself learned something as a disciple of Christ. Specifically in verses 10 to 13, how he learned contentment. His life was an open book. You remember, if you just reflect on the book of Philippians, remember back in chapter 1 how there are those who are preaching Christ out of selfish motives and they're seeking to cause Paul harm, that pained his soul. Here's one who's seeking to preach the gospel and there are those who are in competition with him and now that he's in prison, they're kicking him while he's down, so to speak, and they're preaching Christ but out of selfish motives and of somehow trying to harm Paul and his ministry and he's wrestling with that and we see Paul's open heart, an open book saying, Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. We see Paul wrestling with that and and how he comes to a settled joy. He's dealing with trials. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 23 of the possibility of dying for the gospel. And he says, I'm hard pressed from both directions. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, but also... I have a desire to remain and continue to minister. And he's, he's wrestling with that. And, and we hear Paul's heart for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. His, his life was an open book. He shared openly his testimony, how he was a legalist, trusting in his supposed good works to save him, but how he was convicted and came to understand that his hope was only Christ. How he's pressing on, we see in chapter 3, toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul's an open book. He's not someone who comes out and would proclaim the truth, but he lived with the people. He communicated what's in his heart, his own wrestling with things of sanctification. And this is a part of discipleship, not just hearing the truth, but seeing the truth lived out in the lives of others, how they handle trials, how they relate to others in the home, how a man loves his wife, how he parents his children, to observe the direction of his life. How does he do all things in the name of Christ? How is sanctification worked out in his life? See, this is discipleship, to observe these things. Not just to hear the impartation of truth, but to see the lives of those among whom we live in fellowship, particularly pastors. But not only pastors, deacons. And not only deacons, but fellow believers. And so Paul is saying... You've heard how I handle these things, and you've seen it in my life. And this is what pastors are to do as well. Let me just exhort us again, men, as pastors. God has not called us just to be preachers. He's called us to be disciples. He's called us to follow Christ so that we might, as we shepherd the flock of God, in the words of 1 Peter 5, verse 3, prove ourselves to be examples to the flock. So pastors, fellow elders, we need to keep watch over our lives and our doctrine. We need to make sure we're teaching the truth, but we need to make sure that our lives are in concert with the truth we proclaim. So that with integrity, we can read Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. There's the impartation of truth but also the observation of that truth lived out, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So while pastors are at the vortex, so to speak, of the impartation of truth, and as those whose lives can be observed and be examples of godliness, it's not our sole responsibility to do that. Let me remind you that we impart truth to one another. You know, one of the ways we do that, Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you or among you, it could be translated with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, not just pastors to congregation, but one another, how? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, one of the ways we do that is when we sing together. We're not just singing to God, we do that, but we speak to one another through those hymns, psalms, those psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and we admonish and we encourage and we teach one another. In Romans 15 verse 14, Paul says of the church at Rome, Concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. So you see, admonishing and correcting and teaching is not just the role of pastors. Yes, we're the vortex, you might say, of that. But as we teach and make disciples through the impartation of truth and living the truth, what we're doing is is making mature disciples who are able to admonish one another. And that's why in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says to the church, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. You, brethren, encourage the faint-hearted. You, brethren, help the weak. See, the whole church in that sense is responsible for the impartation of truth this is fellowship as we live together in fellowship that you should be able to admonish the unruly encourage the faint hearted help the weak you should consider how you might stimulate one another to love and good deeds hebrews 10:24 titus 2 older women who are reverent in behavior and not malicious gossips and not enslaved to wine and teaching what is good, they do that so they may encourage and teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their wives, to be sensible, pure workers at home. See, this is the responsibility of the whole church. Here's a church standing firm. A church where, yes, pastors are imparting truth, Their lives can be observed as consistent with that truth. They're paying attention to their doctrine, their teaching, and their lives. But then they're making obedient disciples who are able to admonish and teach one another. And so, yes, it begins with pastors teaching, preaching, exhorting, proclaiming, imparting truth, and pastors living the truth as examples to the flock, but it doesn't stop there. We're all to, in the words of 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build one another up. Every part of the body, serving, encouraging one another, modeling godliness. And this is how the church stands firm. So you have the impartation of truth, the need to hear the truth taught, the observation of the truth lived out. Secondly, we need to observe those who live the truth. But then thirdly, there has to be obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth. So Paul says, the things which you have learned and received, the impartation of truth, and heard and seen in me, the observation of that truth lived out, that leads to thirdly, practice these things. There must be obedience to the truth. Yes, we need to dwell on those things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute and things that are excellent and worthy of praise as we saw last week in verse 8. But we must do them. Not just dwell on the truth, but we must put it into practice. Consider that this passage is filled with commands. Live in harmony. Rejoice. Rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known. Do not be anxious, but pray. Make your requests made known to God. Dwell on these things. These are commands to be obeyed. Put into practice. Not just heard and considered, but practiced. And therefore, if there is to be spiritual stability, if we are to stand firm in the Lord, then these commands must be obeyed. This is why this is the capstone to these verses. This is why this is a fitting conclusion. All these things are commanded, but put them into practice. What I've just said to you, you've heard. You've learned from it. You've received it. But now do it. Truth is not just to be thought about dwelled upon and considered it's to be obeyed and here's the wonderful thing christianity is not theory it's not theoretical these things paul says or the things that they had heard and received from him need to be put into practice the word of god's not just to be heard on the lord's day and not practiced the other six days of the week We don't just say amen to the truth. We're to apply the truth. Paul had lived these things himself and he was practicing these things. It gave him spiritual stability. He had to navigate difficult relationships. Paul had to cultivate a joyful heart in trials. He had to cultivate a gentle spirit in relationships. He had to trust the Lord in prayer. He had to dwell on truth that he himself taught. Paul had to battle excessive sorrow and anxiety and fear. We don't have time to look at that, but if you look at what Paul has written in other places, he wrestled with these things. But now he is saying, you've learned and received and heard and seen these things in me. You need to practice them. This isn't theory. Paul is saying, I can tell you, when obeyed, these things make for an obedient disciple who stands firm in the Lord. Sometimes that's part of my counsel as a pastor. When someone isn't necessarily receiving what I'm saying about the word of God, sometimes I just need to say, listen, by the grace of God, I can tell you these things applied do change hearts. And by the grace of God, I'm an example of that. And Paul is saying that to them. You, you've not only heard these things from me, it's not just teaching, but, but you've seen it in me. And so now you put it into practice. There is no substitute for obedience. Sanctification doesn't happen any other way. For whatever reason, and there could be a whole host of reasons, sometimes we hear the word obey and we think legalism. no. There is no other way for a believer to sanctification and to the peace of God except through obedience. You may know the truth. You may be instructed by the truth. You might be reproved by the truth, convicted by the truth. But, unless... And until you put the truth into practice, unless and until you obey the truth, you will not be trained in righteousness. And this is, I think, sometimes where we fall short as believers. We know the truth. It convicts us. And part of conviction, the word conviction means to expose and shine the light on something. And all of a sudden, we see things more clearly about our sin and our lives and we're convicted, and we're reproved. And then we find some relief for our souls, but it never comes to fruition in obedience. And therefore, we're not trained in righteousness. So anything short of obedience is not true sanctification. Knowing the truth by itself is not sanctification. Dwelling on the truth by itself is not sanctification. Being convicted by the truth. Reproved and corrected by the truth by itself is not sanctification. It must be terminated in, find its fulfillment in, practice these things, obey, and then you will be trained in righteousness. Then you will stand firm in the Lord. Someone has said you've probably heard me say this before, that Christians know much more than they do. We tend to learn more truth than we put into practice, but that's not the way it should be. say, but I love Jesus. I just don't always obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Keep my commandments, not just know them, but do them. And that's what Paul is saying. If you want to stand firm, it's not just know what I just said. It's not just hear me impart truth. Paul's saying it's not just seeing that a life that's built on that. You must do it. You must put it into practice. Truth imparted and observed is to be applied. And so here he says, practice these things. It's the present active indicative. It's the idea that it's something that is to be done and continue to be done. It's the way of life. It's the pattern of your life. And therefore, it's who you are. As you practice it, as you do it, your character is shaped by the truth imparted and observed. The truth applied and obeyed, not just heard and observed, is to shape Our lives, every part of our lives, our thoughts, transformed by truth, applied. What we look at, what we choose, shaped by the truth. What we're entertained by, our music, everything, our attitudes, our relationships, our words, everything is to be shaped by the truth, put into practice. So just knowing it is not sanctification. It's not godliness. In fact, the most unholy people are the people who know the truth and yet do not practice it. Everything is to be shaped by the truth. See, today, Paul Paul would say, you've seen this in me. Here's today. You see it, you observe it, not only at church You see it in my life. You see it in my home. You see it online. You see it on my social media. Who I am in putting truth to practice is who I am in those settings too. See, today we have this disconnect. Well, this is who I am. And it just, it's magnified today. You know, again, everybody's preached this for years. You know, you're not just a Christian on Sunday. It's who are you the there days of the week? It's not just who you are in public, but who you are in private. Today, it's not just who you are in public, but who you are online, on your social media. Everything is to be shaped by the truth and put into practice in every area of your life. No room of your life, no area of your life shut off to the truth. We're to be obedient disciples of Christ. He is Lord. That's why it's been repeated over and over. Stand firm in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near. He is Lord. He's master. He is our Lord. Is He your Lord? Don't just quickly dismiss that question. Is He your Lord? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Paul says, standing firm in the Lord means you must practice these things. We reap what we sow. It's a very important principle. We know it in agriculture. You don't reap corn you don't sow corn and get beans you reap what you sow that's a principle of creation there's just no way around it it's true in spiritual life too we reap what we sow if we sow ungodliness and sin we bear the fruit of that strife misery anxiety things that don't make for standing firm in the lord things that dishonor god but if we practice the truth the word of god we reap what we sow there's great reward in practicing the truth obedience brings great blessings psalm 19 verse 11 speaking of the commandments of god by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 119, verse 165. Those who love your law, and again, it's not just loving it, but doing it, have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. When we put into practice the Word of God, it bears fruit. Here's how James states it in James one twenty five. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides by it he does it not becoming a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer this man will be blessed in what he does here in philippians 4 9 paul says it this way when you practice these things the god of peace will be with you he's already told them the lord is near And we've seen the implications of that. He's already reminded them that when they put into practice trusting prayer rather than anxiety and sinful worry, that the peace of God will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here in verse 9, he says, when you put these things into practice, the God of peace will be with you. He is described here as the God of peace. He is the God of peace who has reconciled you through the death of Christ, you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you now practice the truth in sanctification, He will be with you to bless you, to strengthen you, to help you, to aid you, to sanctify you, and to cause you to stand. The God of peace will be with you. So, how do you listen to the Word of God? And what do you do with it when you hear the impartation of truth, when you see other believers living it? Does it stir you up to do it, to put it into practice? Because hearing the truth is not enough, understanding the truth is not enough, good intentions are not enough, being stirred up by the truth and then stopping there is not enough, conviction of sin is not enough, anything short of obedience does not bring glory to God, and it does not cause us to stand. So what will you do when you leave this place? What will you do with the truth that you've heard today? The exhortation is this. Practice these things. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do confess that sometimes we can find some measure of relief for our souls from various sins and even various trials just from hearing the word and we know that we can be deceived into thinking that if we simply hear the word that we will be blessed and that there will be true joy and happiness or sanctification and change but Lord we thank you that your word is very clear that just being a hearer of the word means that we are deceived. We're like a natural man that looks in the mirror and when he walks away, he forgets what he looks like. Or may we not walk away from the mirror of your word, from the truths therein, without putting them into practice as obedient (laughs) disciples of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for this afternoon as we gather around as a church, a meal as we fellowship together. Father, I pray that our fellowship would be in keeping with what we have just learned. Lord, I pray that there would be the speaking of truth, that our discussions would be about you and truth, that where there would be true fellowship in this way to encourage one another, to teach one another, if necessary, to admonish one another. I pray, Father, that our fellowship would be such that we would observe the lives of those around us who are living the truth, that we would ask them, how do you deal with this sin or that temptation or this struggle and this relationship and and learn And Lord, as we fellowship around the meal, I pray that we would stir one another up, not to just be hearers, but doers of the word. We thank you for your provision of a meal to eat. You have given us our daily bread. But we thank you for the food of your word that nourishes our souls. Lord, may we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.